folks, and welcome to episode 3187 of the Survival Podcast. Today is Thursday, just Jack's show, as is usually the case. Just a quick reminder for those that are watching this on the interweb somewhere instead of listening to the audio, or even if you're not, you but you happen to uh, follow me on social media like Instagram or something like that, there's a lot of people that pretend to be me that are not me. I will never contact you for any personal information or any side deal or anything like that. Uh, through any of those mechanisms, I communicate primarily through uh, email, and I'll never reach out to you on Telegram. I might give you my Telegram by email, or you might know who I am there and already be connected with me, but be damn sure you're talking to me. And if I start asking you for money for something or, or something like that, it probably isn't me. It's really easy to use somebody's icon or logo or something like that, so please don't let it happen to you. Anyway, moving on from there with the PSA done, what are we going to talk about today? So yesterday, <clears throat> I had uh, Mark Baker from Baker's Green Acres on. And uh, he was talking about homesteading as a solution to our food problems in America and a coming food crisis, which I agree is uh, is likely to be the, uh, uh, the, the foreseeable future. And we need to do something about it. But it was some of the things that he was saying, some of the ways that he was in particular discussing it. I'm like, man, I feel like we've had this discussion on this show a long time ago. Uh, he was hitting on a lot of points. So there was an episode I did called The Bright Future of Homesteading in America. How long ago? It was done in July, not this year, 2013. That's a little more than nine years ago. And I talked about how the, the movement at the time for homesteading back to the land, et cetera, was different than previous back to the land movements. I talked about the, mo the movement and what was driven by and what would sustain it. And so I just read off the, some of the bullet points to Mark. He was like, wow, because it was so dead on where we're at today. And then I just couldn't get it out of my head. I just couldn't get it out of my mind. I thought about it. Like I woke up, I was still thinking about it. I said, well, I guess that's what I'm going to talk about today. So what we're doing today is not a rewind, okay? It's not a rewind. I'm not redoing the episode. What I am doing is talking about the subject, and I just took the bullet points. None of the other stuff, just the bullet points from that episode from nine and a half years ago and dropped them in today's show notes, and I'm going to use them to present with. I didn't re-listen to the episode or anything like that, so it's going to be a very probably different take on it. But we're basically looking back nine years ago and saying these were the hot points as to homesteading going forward and being sustainable this time in that it wouldn't go away and what it would mean and what was driving it. And what does it look like now that we're sitting in the middle of 2022 after almost three years of COVID's BS and supply chain shortages and a whole bunch of reasons to actually be homesteading. And if you've noticed, I've titled today's episode what? Homesteading is the new counterculture. I think there's going to be a shirt in the TSP swag shop that says just that. We're working on the redneck hippie duck farmer one and some other ones uh, soon. But if you're on YouTube, you probably see all the swag that's available down there. 
we got a new one. We have a couple different designs on the Bitcoin, uh, one that is a Bitcoin B, but it's the beginning of a word, bringing back seventh generational thinking. So uh, we're going to be talking a lot about seventh generational thinking today, even though we're not talking about Bitcoin. You can make that leap for yourself. Anyway, check it out. And uh, let's go. Uh, uh, Survivalizer is asking me what happened to the Magic 8-Ball. I never heard back from Nick on it. I don't think we were able to get uh, anybody to, to, to quote us a price on a customized one uh, with customized answers like it depends in it uh, at a quantity of like 100. So uh, we can't – I don't know that we're just – we're just not able to do it is what the answer is to that. All right, so before we get in – to today's subject. Let's uh, hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one I want to talk to you about is Paul Wheaton's Kickstarter that he's doing with Helen uh, uh, Athrow on um, the Garden Master course, which is basically a master gardener course and then well beyond it without all the toxic gick. Um, I am excited about the course. I'm going to tell you about some of the extra goodies you get as a backer right now. It just keeps getting better to be a backer of this thing. You get more value for your money every time they go higher with these things called stretch goals. But you have to think about it. This is a gardening course that Jack Spirico wants to take. That tells you something. I don't really need a lot of help with my gardening. But this woman is freaking amazing. And I look forward to being able to sit down and go through every bit of it, bit by bit, and learn from her. But here's some of the extra stuff that's been added to the Kickstarter in addition to the different ways that you can receive that course and all the other goodies you can get. Uh, if you if you get on board with this, if you haven't done so yet, by the 21st, you get this Homestead Harvest Bundle with uh, with Helen Athro's uh, soil strategy session from her, the PDC that Paul did recently, Dirt Patch Heaven and the Art of Fire, and like all kinds of cool stuff. There was a $40,000 stretch goal if they did $40,000 in, in raise. Uh, on ha- hands-on agrimony uh, video workshop, smashed it. You get that. These are all. If you don't, if you if you participate at a hundred dollars or more, you get these stretch goals. Justin Rhodes on how to raise meat chickens, forty-five thousand dollars stretch goal, smashed it. Fifty thousand dollars stretch goal. All twenty-eight, all all of the twenty-eighteen issues from the Stockman Grass Farmer, uh, smashed it. $55,000 stretch goal was the Tour of Wheaton Labs movie. Smashed it. $60,000 stretch goal. Creating a backyard fruit forest. Uh, also by Helen Athro. Uh, smashed it. $65,000 stretch goal. Uh, plans for the first Wafati greenhouse to built. Uh, smashed it. They now have a stretch goal. 70000 bucks. If they hit that, they're going to throw in for all backers over 100 bucks. Plans for the solar food hydrator with rocket assist. I think they're going to do it because if you look at it right now, they're at 69645 bucks. That's just the extra stuff. Uh, Paul's a good dude. This is a course that we really need, and it fits well with today's episode about homesteading. Every homestead should be anchored with a garden, and the garden is the gateway drug to, uh, to homesteading. So, uh, definitely check it out. There's links in the video notes below, and there's a link in the video notes to the audio notes, uh, will, which will be available about one hour after uh, this ends. With that, let's dig on into this. I want to start off with, <clears throat> again, I'm using the notes from the old episode. There'll be a link to the old episode from nine years ago uh, in, in the episode as well. So you could even compare them if you want to. It'd be kind of interesting. Uh, but I start out with talking about the 70s movement. And how the 70s kind of back to the land movement was very driven 
Instead of instead of homesteading being a, 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 the counterculture of the 70s, counterculture caused people to look for homesteading as a solution to their problems. So if you think about the 1970s, and I really wish I would have – I printed out a, a graph for my dad. He said he couldn't get a hold of one. It was the uh, stock market's history from 1902 to 2018, and it shows the Great Depression and the Great Recession and everything in between. If I had it here, I'd hold it up to the camera for you guys. But if you look at the 1970s and from the late 60s into the early 80s, it's pretty much flat. It's up and down and up and down and up and down, but it's a flat line. It was a sideways skid. They called it stagflation. So there wasn't a lot of hope in the economy in the 1970s. We were coming out of the Vietnam War. We had the whole blowback from that. We had the whole, you know, uh, the baby boomers becoming young adults and being completely disillusioned with what was sold to them, uh, watching their friends go away and come back not whole or, or not come back at all or come back in a body bag. And then there wasn't a lot of hope in the economy. And, you know, there was the time when you had 100 people applying for one job and, People started to look around for something else, and it had kind of this hippie ethos in it. And so people turned to back-to-the-land thinking in a large way because it was a solution to a problem rather than because it was what they wanted, if that makes sense. That's, that's my view of it, and it's why I think that as the economy rebounded in the 80s, under the Reagan revolution, and we went into this decade of complete opulence that the 80s was and, and carried through a lot into the 90s, a lot of the people that had taken a stab at that just said, hey, you know, it's easier to get one of these decent jobs now than it is trying to make a living on the land because people were taking the approach in the 70s of not I want a homestead in the city or in the suburbs or in this little place out of town and it's a thing that I add on to my life, it was I'm going to run away. And I think that's why it really wasn't very sustainable. And I'm not talking ecologically sustainable. I mean able to keep going, right? That it just, just as a movement, it wasn't very sustainable. And then we had, prior to that, the 1930s. And the 1930s had a pretty big movement of putting in the gardens and everything. And this was driven, of course, by the Great Depression as the F-35 strafed me again. Hopefully that doesn't come in too loud on the microphone. That's a loud one, though. Um, but the 30s were a bit different. Most people that lived anywhere they could have a garden had a garden before the Depression hit. A lot of people think that during the prior to the depression, the roaring twenties, everybody was living high on the hog. There were plenty of poor people living, uh, off of their homesteads at the time before the crash. My grandfather said that the way they found out the depression started is somebody told them and the way they found out it was over is somebody told them or they would have never noticed any difference. They did notice the whole war in between that, that he was drafted into, but yeah. That was there where they where they lived in central Pennsylvania in the coal region. There wasn't really a whole lot of difference. Nobody was buying a bunch of stock anyway. But the people that were on the periphery, the people that were living 
with the job that was paying good money and they were investing and they were starting to build wealth, it got wiped out. They had to you know, restart with whatever they had and jobs were hard to come by, really hard to come by. That's why we had things like, you know, the, 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 the civilian conservation corps and stuff like that, where people left their families almost, almost sort of like joining the military just for a job that didn't pay that much, but at least they, they had a job. And so, it was kind of a natural fit. We hadn't walked away from it yet. Now, as I said yesterday, this idea that everybody in the 1930s knew how to feed themselves, and that's why they got through the Depression, is is kind of out of touch with reality. There's been city folk and country folk, just to be blunt, for about as long as there's been cities. And there was a lot of urbanization. There's a lot of people that had left the farms. Farms had already started to get bigger. They weren't as big as they became in the 70s, but... It wasn't just that everybody knew what to do. It's just there were a lot more people that did. So the movement that we saw then was less a movement and more just a natural response. I'll make the garden bigger, not I'll put a garden in. And, of course, that eventually led to the victory gardens of World War II, which I think are well overplayed in the United States. I think it's a nostalgic thing to look back to at. People certainly did it. But the real victory gardens that were needed were mostly in, in, in England, the United Kingdom, because England was really pinched off in their ability to procure supplies. So we kind of came through that. Then everybody came home, right? All the GIs came home, the ones that were still with us, and we got busy with building the interstate highway system. We had this little problem in the middle called the Korean War. We'll just forget about that because that's what we did. And things kind of boomed until the 70s, which is where we started out at. And that's the two big movements in the last hundred years, other than where we're at today. And I'd say where we're at today started in the early 2000s, and it's still going. So it's already out-sustained these other two pockets of, of this kind of back-to-the-land thinking movement, homesteading, what have you. And there's a lot of reasons for it that we'll get in today. But the other thing about them is... The movements of those two periods were largely rural. There wasn't really a lot, other than some of the Victory Garden stuff, of people in what we think of as suburbs today doing it. And to be fair, there weren't a lot of suburbs like we think of today. They were really a product of the 50s and 60s and 70s that we put in these more high-density suburbs, full service, all of that stuff. And here comes the plane again. Um Today we have homesteaders that are working land from a tenth of an acre to a hundred acres. That's directly off my uh, list from from nine years ago, and I'd say that's still the case. There is a, a big movement though now for people to try to get what, what gets tossed around all the time is a little more land, a little. And what people mean by that generally is a couple acres. And I think there's. Two or three things driving that. One, you get two, three, five acres. It changes the whole dynamic of what you can do with trees uh, and livestock. And I think livestock drives it more than a desire to have a one-acre cornfield or something like that. Our our forefathers, our ancestors, when they got a hunk of land of that size or a little bit bigger, they would put in crops like corn or wheat or tobacco as money crops. Now, when you say money crops, you think, well, that means they were rolling in dough. No, they actually made very little in return for their effort, but it was something, and the land was there, and at least it produced some form of a cash crop. It's probably a better word than a money crop. 
that they would be able to get something for the product that they were producing. Today, I think that 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 kind of thinking is pretty much dead. If somebody is growing wheat, they're really dedicated. They like they like wheat and they want it for themselves. I have met people that are growing some heirloom wheats and stuff that sell it to people, but honestly, when you ask them how much they sell, it's not a tremendous amount. Um, I think mostly what people are looking for extra land for today is to be able to graze animals like sheep or to have a dairy cow or to pasture chickens or pork or something like that. And then you also have the, the movement toward, I just want a little bit more, for have a little bit more ability to do some more homestead stuff. So those are people who are looking for the half acre to acre and a half. And an acre well done will wear your ass out. Don't don't ever think that it won't. But there's something else driving this as far as the little bit of little bit more land. People are just tired of being able to spit out their side window and hit their neighbor's house with their spit. I think people are t- and people are tired of other people telling them how to live and what to do. And the reality is a massive amount of what goes on with code enforcement and things like that and Department of Making a Sad showing up and all is not the little poindexter that was picked on in school that now has an authority complex actually driving around and looking for somebody to use his authority on. There's some of that. But usually that accompanies being called out to a place, and while I'm here, I might as well drive around and see if I can write somebody up for another violation. It's a complaint-driven system. It is hugely a complaint-driven system. And and James says one acre is a big garden indeed. I'm not talking about a one-acre garden. I'm talking about a one-acre homestead. An acre homestead could have a a 20th an acre garden on it and feed a family, no problem. And all the other things you can do will wear you out. Uh, if you, if you really maximize it is what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, yeah, people just have, have kind of switched on to this that if my neighbors are just not right here, like on both sides of me, if they're over there and over there and over there and over there, then I get the biggest thing that people really are looking for today. And the biggest thing that people are, and we talked about this yesterday, I've talked about it a lot lately, the most fundamental human right, the right to be left alone. That, I, how many of you in the, in the uh, live chat here, just say me if this applies to you, just feel like just please leave me alone. At some point during your week or you know, a couple times a month, you're just like, dear God, just leave me alone. I just want to be left alone. And, you know, you just feel like that every single thing we want to do, somebody has a problem with it. Somebody wants to interject in it. The silence is violence ethos. And we've got, you know, here it comes a ton. I got I got a scroll to catch up with this. Holy crap. You know, me, me, me. I'm going to try to get everybody on the screen that said it here, right? Tons of people saying me. I feel that way. Just it, it makes me think of the scene in the uh, the original First Blood movie. And if you think about it, where where Rambo is just looking to get a meal and the potbelly sheriff throws him out of town and says, you're not allowed to be here, that's what that scene really is. I even made a meme of that scene, and, and that's that's what it is. It's, it's I just want to be left alone, and the sheriff basically saying, I can't allow that, son. Wow. 
I think every single person in this live feed has said me to that question. That was a roll of freaking comments coming in. And, yeah, when you have an acre or three or five or ten, especially if your home and your activity level is shielded by things like trees, a lot of things that would get a phone call made and some poindexter showing up with his pocket protector writing you a code violation, even though technically what you're doing might actually be a code violation, you get for the rest of your life to know what he cares. I can't tell you how many times I've talked about it being illegal to harvest water in places like Colorado, and I'll hear from a couple dozen people the next day by email saying, Jack, yeah, it is. I live off grid. Everybody out here does it. Nobody gives two shits and damn sure ain't going to let nobody do anything about it. It's that kind of, I think that's a big piece of what people mean when they say they want a little bit more land. It's less about what I can do with it and just leave me alone. And I don't think there's that make, and I think part like, like that's now driving this more than I could have ever foreseen back when I originally talked about this subject because there's never been a time where I felt more, will you leave me alone? Will you leave me alone? Will you leave my kids alone? Um, will you, will you leave my grandchildren alone? Will you go away? Will you go do what? And, and how many of you also feel this way? Like do whatever you want. Just don't drag me into it with you. And so I think that's, I can't think of a time in my life and I'm 50 now that I've ever felt that way more that I felt like there's more of big daddy government and that's big daddy government from the federal government down to the county and the city and the HOA sticking their nose through your woods and looking at you and go, what are you doing in there? You can't even make a post on social media or make an honest video on YouTube without having it taken down. So at least let me be alone in my own backyard. So that's one of the big drivers. I think that, and these are the exact drivers I gave for why people were doing this in 2013. Concern about the future. I think probably every person that listens to this show with any regularity at all, once a week even, you're concerned about your future. And I think you're concerned about our future. Like, like there's, there's words that they keep destroying because collectivism sounds like a bad thing because the way they use the word is. But our collective future is a reality. In other words, we're all on this big spinning rock together, right? We're all here together. And if the whole world goes to shit, it affects us all. The better we've done for ourselves in a standpoint of preparedness, the less individually affected we are. The old, you know, the thing I talked about, one of my mentors taught me in the past said that life's like a shit sandwich. The more bread you have, the less shit you have to eat. That's true to a degree, but if, if, if we, if we go to World War III, we got a real problem no matter where our homestead is. But there is this collective fear and there is a collective psyche. And that's why they use so much media effort to manipulate you. Because the collective psyche has a way of turning into a future of what is focused on. And this can be seen as like some sort of weird metaphysical energy dynamic. But it's just the case that if you get a couple hundred million people thinking a thing's going to happen, each one of them will take little tiny steps to end up making it happen. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I think that when we look at the absolute lunacy, I mean the absolute freaking lunacy of having some dude 
running a thing called the World Economic Forum, telling us we're going to eat the bugs, own nothing, and be happy, we might start to worry that he means us. And we might start to think, the hell you will. So we might need a solution. Now, there wasn't a lot of talk about old Klaus, right? Eat the bugs, Klaus, right? In, in 19, or 2013, he was around, but it wasn't so obvious. They made their big move along with the COVID thing. And that's when it kind of caught on a lot of people's radar that had not been paying attention. But, yeah, maybe they mean us. Maybe they mean I'm going to be the one eating soy burger instead of beef. And I'm like, bullshit. So, so homesteading is, is driven a lot, I think, at this point by that concern that, hey, I need to do something and I need to look and figure out what I can do. And this is a thing that I can do that anybody can do. I think the quality of our food, I said that again nine years ago. I think it's more true now. As shitty as our food was then, you know, I didn't see any Beyond Burger. I didn't see any Beyond Burger in the uh, in the meat case in 2013. I didn't see this big push. Burger King and McDonald's weren't trying to make a big push for this stuff, were they? All of a sudden, this it's also the, the companies behind it are starting to go broke. By the way, that's we need to talk about that uh, sometime soon. But yeah, um, the quality of food, and there's something about You take that first step. I said that gateway drug is a garden. That first really nice pepper or tomato that you ever pick out of your own garden, it's a little bit warm by the sun or it's a little bit cool because it's still early in the spring, and you eat that and you realize, I will never, ever, never, ever, never, ever, ever get that out of a store. It will never taste like that. And I'm not just talking about tomatoes that are like designed to travel a million miles and taste like cardboard that you get at Publix and Albertsons. I'm saying you can go to the best organic grocery there is where they really make every effort to do their best for you. It will never taste like it does off the vine or off the plant. And a lot of things, like Mark said yesterday, if they were selling lamb's quarters In the grocery store, everybody would kind of snap to the fact, hey, that grows them up. That grows all over the place for free. There's a lot of stuff that we can grow and harvest and forage as homesteaders that will never make its way into the grocery store, and it's not because they don't want you to know that it's free. Go cut some young lamb's quarters and make a bundle out of it and set it in a cooler or on a shelf, either one room temperature or in a cooler, for two days and take a look at it. Do it for a day and look at it. It's a wonderful green. It's delicious. It looks like absolute crap after about an hour after you cut it. Under the best case scenario, it looks like crap a couple, three hours after you cut it. I guess if you put it in a thing of water and really took good care of it, but it doesn't ship well and it never will. And there's a ton of stuff like that. Uh, I grow a plant called Ipomera aquatica, which is a water spinach plant. It's a beautiful plant. It does not look good after you cut it for very long. It really doesn't. Um, there's so much stuff that we're able to add to our diets that's high quality that it's not just not available. It's never going to be available. So we have the general decline in quality, but then we start to open up this horizon to all the things that we could have that we can't get anywhere else. Um, the environmental damage of big agriculture, this is more evident than any time in history, and it's leading to some really stupid statements. 
I watched a mental midget yesterday on a little short video put out by Clown World say he wasn't completely wrong. He said farming is an environmental disaster. Okay, I agree. Modern farming is a modern environmental disaster. They're doing more damage to the environment right now with chemical ag in mass scale, all these giant 40,000-plus-acre fields, than most of the industries you think of as polluting. I agree. But you know what the solution was? We need to ban farming. And I'm like, does this moron know how fast he'll starve to death? I want to see us move off a lot of these practices. Of course I do. And I want to do that as quickly as possible. But I don't want to do it in a way that kills people. The solution of the environmentalists, though, the WEF, ESG, all that, is more fields and more farms and more soybeans and more kill everything. So I think people are starting to realize things like, hey, I feel better and I look better when I eat a meat-based diet than a plant-based diet. They keep saying we need a plant-based diet. America's on a plant-based diet. Go look, go look at the fat people shopping on the 1st and 15th of the month at Walmart and look at the majority of the shit that they put in their cart. It's a plant-based diet. It's starches. It's cheap. It, it stores well. It stores for you. I don't care what the expiration date is. All that shit in those boxes, most of that shit is stored 20 years and the bugs won't even eat it. So this has become a huge driver, both the quality and the environmental damage of Big Ag. Concerns about GMOs. I actually think this is the one that's in some ways waned a bit over the years. I think that, and this is an odd thing, because all of this other stuff is seems more in our face, but I heard a lot more people concerned about GMO in the 2010s than I do today. And it may simply be that all of the people that were really concerned or people that become concerned now when they learn about GMOs and learn about what GMOs are actually doing to our health because of what they're designed to do. If you design a plant to be drenched in glyphosate, we also know that as Roundup, uh, and not be affected by it so you can use a weed killer on the plant that you're going to eat, then you start to realize even if the GMO itself is not chemically, it's not, you know, it's not uh, biologically altered in a way. That, that gene splicing doesn't actually directly hurt me. Uh, eating a plant that sucked up a bunch of glyphosate, which is a known carcinogen, probably is not a good thing. But what people have realized is if I'm homesteading, if I'm eating grass-fed organic beef, if I'm eating organic chicken, if I'm doing the things that I can do, I don't care about your GMO anymore personally because I'm not eating any of it. And I think that's partly where people have kind of like realized the solution to this is just don't eat it. And the people that are eating it don't care. So I think we hear a little less about it. Uh, it's still a good marketing buzzword for a lot of seed companies. The issue there, though, is a lot of these seed companies, and I love a lot of them, but they're uh, they're overplaying this card. Most of the seeds these companies sell, there's no GMO version of them. GMOs are generally your large commercial crops. So there, there's not a whole lot of GMO lettuce out there, even though lettuce is a large commercial crop. Uh, it's a fast turn crop. Most of your GMO is in the world of your big five, right? It, it, it's your rice, it's your potatoes. There still is no GMO wheat, by the way, it, but it's your corn 
Uh, it's it's stuff like that. So it's your soy. And your soy and your corn, the problem with that is it's in almost anything that has any sort of ingredient that might be like that in it, right? And it is soy and corn mostly, and it's it's also rice, by the way. Um, the next thing, though, is, and I think this is now, it's becoming more and more true, and it's becoming more and more true as gen uh, the, the millennial generation is becoming adults, and that is recovering what was lost. So my generation, Gen X, I think we were pretty split, and, and I think we were, I think even people like they're the minority of my own generation. So even Gen X largely lost out on the childhood that I had. We did have the childhood um, that people talk about when they talk about things like uh, the freedom to go out and do things. We were kind of the last generation with that. And, uh, yeah, gang, gang says adults in quotes, like Dr. Evil, adults, right? Don't be too hard on them. Again, we made them. And a lot of them are turning into adults. Aaron says she's an elder millennial at 37. Yeah, so your you know, millennials, your older millennials are 37. A lot of your millennials are having babies. And they're starting to question if they really want their kids to grow up without the last bit of what they saw from my generation. Like, what can I do? How do I prevent this? Do I really want my kid to grow up in a sanitized, sterilized, state-controlled environment? Now, some of them are completely fine with it, but a lot of people aren't. And they're starting to seek another option to regain what was lost. Because if we go back to... Older Gen X through the baby boomers, through the World War II generation, through the Depression era generation. Most people grew up with at least some of this in their life. And it's a very fulfilling thing. It's, it's a very fulfilling thing to know where some of your food came from. It's a very fulfilling thing. One of my you know, greatest childhood memories was things like my grandmother toward the end of the season when she had canned her ass, her fingers were getting raw. She didn't want to can anymore. We looked at the shelf in the, in the cellar and we're like, there's no more room and we don't need any more. It's time to start putting meat in the larder. It's time for the ag part of this thing to end for the year. And she'd say, look at all the food down there. And she would start loading up grocery sacks. And I was, you know, I was 11 years old, stuff like that, and saying, here, take the, and she'd write different family names, and I would go go give away food to older members of the community who weren't gardening anymore, not because they didn't want to, but because they just couldn't anymore. Their kids had grown up, and they moved, it's a depressed area, they moved so far away, they couldn't look after it for them, and they just weren't in the place to do it anymore, and we'd give them stuff here and there. But end of season, we would take it because maybe that old lady catchmer up on the hill couldn't run a garden, but she still knew how a canner worked. So I'd take her big piles of beans and zucchinis and all kinds of stuff. It's very fulfilling. It's very fulfilling. And we naturally seek things that are fulfilling. And I don't think there's ever been a time in history where people have had a, well, I was not in history because I'm speaking for like millennia if I talk about that, right? I don't think there's been a time in the last century where people have had a bigger hole in their soul than right now. And we've had about four decades of trying to fulfill the hole in the soul 
with the little plastic cards that we carry around that we keep in a wallet or a purse. And it hasn't worked. Retail therapy hasn't worked. People are still pursuing it aggressively, but it hasn't worked. So they start to ask. And I think a big driver now is regaining that fulfillment, that, 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 that feeling of meaning. Cause you know, it, we did me before do it again in the live chat for me, folks who, after you go out and you work your garden or you take care of your rabbits or you spend some time with your chickens, you come in, you make breakfast with eggs that you picked up with your kids or your grandkids like we do, or you watched your ducks swim, or you processed a pig or a deer or something like that, and then you sit down and you have a meal, you feel fulfilled. It feels different. It feels good. Maybe your hair stands up a little bit on your arm here and there. Watch a kid run and pick up an egg and be like, Grandma, Grandma, look what I found. Like, And then realize, I'm going to take that kid in and teach that kid. Here it comes again. Here it comes, me, 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 right? Like, I can't, guys, when you go this fast, I can't keep up with you. I'm trying, you know, and I got to keep rolling for the people on the audio here. Like, it's just, they're they're just coming in like a firestorm right now. Me, me, me. Because it 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 is, in a sense, part of how we're supposed to exist. Human beings didn't evolve to sit around and be served food by others, We evolved to have some involvement in how we got fed. That's why when you walk around in the woods, you notice a bright red berry. Even if it's a bright red berry, you shouldn't eat. You notice it. Your mind was developed through evolution to recognize, hey, that's different. I need to pay attention to that. Maybe that's a berry that goes from red to black, or maybe it goes from green to red and now it's ripe, or maybe red says it's toxic. But I need to know about that thing. It's why if you don't know nothing about gardening and I go into one of my garden beds and I pull back the mulch and I take the two hands and I stuff it down and there's a picture of me in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram from years ago showing dirt from my garden that a person knows nothing about garden looks at that soil and goes, oh, wow. They understand. They're like, wow. That doesn't look like when I'm trying to plant my little box elder tree or whatever. That doesn't look like my soil. And you know in, instinctively, you know instinctively it's good. How do you know that if no one taught you that? Well, you know it because you evolved as part of an ecosystem that involves soil. We owe our entire existence to a few feet of topsoil around the world and the fact that it rains. You take away either one of those and we all die. And that's, I don't care what you eat, because whatever you eat, it either grew in that topsoil or the thing that you eat grew in the topsoil. We're, we're a plant-based system in the end, plant and fungi-based system in the end. Um, an understanding of what is actual wealth, right? I think that's another thing, like, We got convinced in the 80s that a giant brick cell phone was wealthy, and in the 90s having a pager that was a two-way pager was wealthy. And then how small could your phone be, right? Like the tinier your phone, the richer you were. And then in the 2000s, all of a sudden, how smart was your phone uh, became the deal. And people would pay somebody to stand in line to buy one of these to have the new one sooner than the next. And what car did you have? And When the first Tesla Roadsters came out, if you were a baller, you had one of those or a Lambo or something. And we had all this, this, and I'm not a guy that hates money. I tell you guys all the time, don't hate money or money will hate you. 
There's a place for money. But what is real wealth? And it's hard to tell a person that can look outside their window and see their kids playing like it's 1982 instead of 2022. That's going to sit down tonight and eat a meal that at least partly came from their backyard. That knows that if the whole world goes to shit, they'll be okay at least for a time while they figure out what to do. It's hard to tell that person you don't have any wealth. It's hard for that person to only fixate on their 401k balance. It's hard for that person to... Now, when the person can't afford food from the grocery store, no matter how much money that they're making, they might start to feel like they don't have a whole lot of wealth. So I think we're repositioning ourselves into what the definition of wealth is. We're starting to get closer to Buckminster Fuller's definition of wealth. What Buckminster Fuller said about wealth is, it is how long you can survive forward if you stop working and making money. That's wealth. How long can you perpetuate a lifestyle that you want and and then not be afraid to work to get it at the same time? I saw somebody on Twitter the other day that said something like, it doesn't matter how much money you make. If you're working after 5 o'clock or on weekends, you're poor. And I said, well, that's the mindset that keeps your ass poor. So work is valuable, but when you, when that work is on your own thing instead of somebody else's thing, you start to have a totally different understanding of wealth and what you're building. You start to see a tree as an investment, an investment for you and an investment for future generations. We start bringing back that seven-generational mindset when it comes to building real wealth. Trust me, the, the, the your forefathers... Your great, great, great back grandparents were thinking about you when they built their life, even though you weren't even a wink in the wink of a wink of a wink of a wink of an eye yet. They were thinking about you. We stopped doing that. And our, our, so when we stopped doing that, we stopped thinking about wealth forward and we started thinking about wealth now. When you deal with ecological systems, you have to think about tomorrow and not, well, I'll retire someday and I want to go walk on a beach. Your whole thing changes right away. Yeah, me and you both, humble. I work on weekends, too. I don't consider myself poor. Um, if you love what you do, you technically don't work a day in your life, right? Um, and then I think a desire just to regain control of our lives and an understanding of what's beautiful. I think that's just as true today as when I said it the first time. Beauty has has transformed in people's minds lately a great deal. If you want to see what people thought beauty was and how long it persisted, go drive through any recently developed subdivision where all the houses either look exactly the same or there's three models in different colors. And they're all the same size lots, and it looks like a machine came through them, pachunk, 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 pachunk. And there's no real diversity of housing style. And everything's the same. And there's an HOA that insists that it's the same. And, you know, down I've seen HOAs that really tell people, like, on our street, you have to put up green green Christmas lights only. I've seen stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, the whole Internet explosion happened. People started seeing what a backyard could look like and what a front yard could look like if Karen went away and stopped bothering everybody. It, it, and the whole idea of beauty transfer. You're going to tell me that that rooster, I don't know if you can hear him out there, but that rooster that I bred through a few generations, I, I, I've named him pheasant because he looks like a golden pheasant. You're going to tell me that bird isn't beautiful? 
Or are you going to tell me it isn't beautiful like we talked about earlier when that kid runs out and finds an egg and gets excited over a flipping egg that it knows came out of a chicken or a duck's butt and it runs in and gives it to grandma or grandpa and gets excited about having breakfast because they had a part in it, that that's not beautiful. What's changed a lot is that understanding of what's beautiful, and there's a huge desire in a world where it feels like you're in control of nothing to take control back. Here's what I said would sustain the movement back then, and I think it's doing it, and it's been doing it. Uh, first and foremost is that we can do it almost anywhere is the mentality we have now. The other movements I talked about, it was always, I want to get away. I want to get away and get a big piece of land. And because we have this visibility into what people are doing and you see somebody doing a thing, you know that you can do a thing too. And so the idea that if even if I don't have a big place, I can run hydroponics in my basement. I can grow microgreens in the extra room and maybe even turn it into a business. I can have an herb garden on the porch. I can put in a garden pond and I can throw local fish in there instead of koi in there. Or I can grow a plant in there that I can eat. Like this idea that I can do this anywhere is a big reason that we're we're not going to sustain. We have sustained. I'd say that we're 20 years into this now. 20 years into it. Not it's just starting. It's just that the visibility into it continues to get bigger. And if you look at how many people make a living teaching people how to do it now, that alone tells you something about how how big this movement has become so fast. And 20 years for a movement like this is still in its infancy, guys. Absolutely still in its infancy. We're trying to replace thousand years of knowledge lost. We're 20 years into replacing a thousand years of knowledge lost. And we can learn things that even nobody knew a thousand years ago because we have tools they did. Not everything modern is bad. Um, the Internet and info sharing is a huge driver of sustainability. Uh, I have people here already saying to learn everything on YouTube. Aaron's saying right now, YouTube, I learn everything from here. Uh, you and the other homesteaders recording what you do gives us encouragement. Same with RVing. We saw families living in an RV successfully and decided to go for it. Good for you, Aaron. Good for you. And that is the, the ability, all of these platforms, for all the evil that freaking Google does, for all the evil that Facebook does, for all the evil that Twitter does, and there's a lot of it, it's still being, it, it's one of those things that if you have that ability to communicate and share information, a lot of information that's really positive and really good is going to get shared. Even TikTok, there's a lot of stupid people on TikTok, but there's a lot of good on TikTok. A lot of encouragement, a lot of motivation and things like that. John Willis is on TikTok. I don't, even, I don't know a human being more motivational than John Willis. John Willis will motivate you, and if you don't get motivated enough, he'll punch you through the screen to get you motivated. Um, so that's a big part of what's sustaining us. Opposition is also going to strengthen the movement. I said that in 2013. Do you feel like there's some opposition to what we're doing now? Do you feel like maybe there's a little more opposition to it? You know, I, I heard on the radio yesterday or TV one, I don't remember which one it was, that one of, it was a radio, I had to go somewhere, and that one of the reasons that, that chicken and, and turkey is so expensive is the bird flu killed tens of millions of birds. No, it didn't. Government stupidity killed tens of millions of birds because the bird would get sick and they kill all the birds. As though birds can't get a flu and get a, that's going to get away and merge with COVID. That's not how it works, 
right? They they murdered all those birds. Why? Because you will eat the bugs and be happy. That's why. We just had Mark uh, Baker on yesterday talking about how they tried to take his pigs because the way the pig looked. The way the pig looked made the pig feral. No, being feral makes you feral. Look it up in a damn dictionary. Now, that was all the way back. That started for him in 2012. And now it makes sense. He said to me offline, he said, when it started, it didn't make any sense to me. Seeing all the stuff that's going on today, now it makes sense. Now what they're trying to do makes sense. Cram everybody into high-density cities, control them, make all the food something that can be tracked with a QR code. That's the goal. That's the goal, to make all the food like the pharaohs had, the grain silos with the grain bill attached to it, you control where it goes, when it gets there, how it gets there, what people eat, and you tell them, and you keep your slaves on a slave diet. That's what you are to these people. You are a slave. You are livestock. That is opposition. And there's a certain number of people that are like, you know what, screw you. I will not eat the bugs. I will not eat the soy burger. I will not eat your garbage food. You will not put your chemicals and GMOs and pesticides and herbicides into my children. I'm not going to have this. And the harder they push, the stronger we get and the bigger we'll grow. And the more decentralized we become and the more networked we become. People think decentralized is not networked. You should have learned that from blockchain by now and Bitcoin. You could be highly decentralized and heavily networked. And there's all types of organizations forming that are helping people like yourselves connect with each other to do business, to share information, to learn. And the more opposition, the more opposition, the bigger the movement gets. It is a complete, if they want what they want, the best thing they can do is to be very quiet and very um, subductive about it. But instead, they got up on their, their back feet Right, They stood up, their fur went up, they did the monkey dance like they're going to get in a fight because a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity came around for them, a pandemic where we could shut the entire economy down. So they got to feeling pretty good about themselves. And they're like, well, we're going to tell you how it's going to be. Now, there's a lot of people that when somebody bigger than them stands up and goes, I'm going to tell you how it's going to be, they're like, okay, yes, sir. And there's a lot of adult adolescents out there completely willing to simp themselves out like that. But there's a whole damn bunch of us who are like, oh, hell you are. Homesteading is the new counterculture. Homesteading says, I won't eat your shit, and my family won't either, and you can shove it up your rear end. Homesteading is an act of insurrection. You know, the, 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 the song for our show is The Revolution Is You. I almost feel like me and Greg Gows need to come up with a new song. We've had that one for like 12 years. We need a song using the word insurrection, and you can take your January 6th version of that and shove it up your rear end too, because that's not what an insurrection looks like. There's, and there's different kinds of insurrections, but that was not an insurrection. That's a bunch of pissed off people protesting. But growing food is an act of insurrection. Jeff Lawton said growing your own food is an act of sedition. Sedition is a word in criminal code that will get your ass executed, at least on paper, still today. But he also said it's peaceful sedition. 
Bill Mollison called permaculture an insurrection, but called it a peaceful insurrection. The way I define it for our purposes, and it's nobody's definition but my own, is the difference between a revolution and insurrection is a revolution is something that generally says, I don't want these leaders, I don't want these masters, I don't want these controllers, because they're not using force on my fellow man the way I want it used. So let's revolt, whether it's a political or military or in some way, revolt and move the power structure from this group of assholes to this group of assholes over here that are a little bit more in consort with what I do. That's the election process, the ass clown circus. That's how revolutions throughout history have played out. The American Revolution is one of the very few revolutions that actually things got better after it was over. Most revolutions turn out really bad in the end. Ask the French. They'll explain it to you if they studied their own history anyway. But an insurrectionist says, the hell with you and the hell with you too. I ain't having this no more. I'm taking power away from you and I'm putting it right over here with me. So don't start nothing, won't be nothing. I don't want any problems, but I damn well want to be left alone. When you start to cut off your need for their systems, and never forget, it's not the system, it's the systems, plural. It's the energy system, it's the medical system. You want to be less dependent on the medical system, get freaking healthy. How do you get healthy? Grow your own food and eat meat. That's how you get healthy. Stop eating their garbage. You're never going to get healthy eating shit in a package. When you turn it over and read the ingredients, there's words you can't pronounce. You will never, ever, 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 infinity, be healthy eating that shit. So you stop. And then you're like, well, I got to eat something. So you find local producers. If you can't find a local producer for something, you find the best producer of it you can. You eat a proper human diet, which is meat and fat heavy, and vegetables. A little bit of berries here and there and things like that. Occasionally you have a nice a nice old-fashioned or something. You don't forego all of it, but you, you center your diet around it. So when we grow our own food, we are giving a giant middle finger to a system that says you need us. No, you don't. You don't need them. We are the new counterculture, and opposition makes us stronger. It is The other thing that I said back then, and thank God for it, because we didn't have time to get it done when all this stuff started, and it's going to get worse, by the way. It's going to get a lot worse. Remember that graph I was talking about that I wish I'd brought here? I said in the 70s it went sideways. This is what people don't get about the Great Depression. You look at the Great Depression on a graph, and it's this huge downturn, and then it's a slow upturn with little dips in it and slow upturning. It's long track recovery, but it's almost constantly up. Do you know how long it took? It took from about 1938, 1939 was the, I'm sorry, 19, 1920, uh, 1930, 31 was about the bottom. Like everybody knows 29, but it kept going and it went down, bro. It went down. It was still in 33. It was still dropping and it finally bottomed out. It tanked. It took until like 1964 to come back to an all-time high. It was 64, 65, 66, somewhere in there. It was over 20 years. Don't think we can, we might not be looking at that eventuality again right now. And think about how much 
harsher it is. When almost every, here's the big difference. People said the big difference in the Great Depression and now is everybody knew how to grow their own food back then and how to hunt and fish and all. No, they didn't. But most people weren't invested in the stock market directly. Most Americans today are. Most Americans today are. Most people in the 1920s held the majority of their wealth if they had any in cash, which was gold, and in the real estate property or home. Today, most of the wealth is held in 401k, IRAs, etc. Now, you get the market to do even half of the downplay that it did during the Great Depression and take only half as long to come back. And people talked about a wealth of a generation being wiped out. You ain't seen nothing yet. But what I said is we're doing it before the crisis. I said that in 2013. And I think what you saw is the COVID thing raged and all the shortages. The army of insurrectionists that was already active and built and deployed and decentralized around the country turned to their neighbors and said, do you want to know how to do this now? And it wasn't just homestays. Preppers, how many of you preppers out there? Let's see it me again. All your people that thought you were crazy about two and a half years ago, you got phone calls and emails saying what? What? What do I do? What do I do? How do I deal with this? You know how many Jack, you were right freaking emails I got when this shit started? Right? I mean, a ton. And so the deployed army of insurrectionists said, it's time. It's time. Let's go. And what ended up happening was a lot of the people that were doing YouTube channels and stuff like that of how to, did they take their time off and their stimmy checks, put their feet up and eat some more Doritos? Hell no. I worked harder from the beginning of COVID for the next two years than I had worked in the prior four combined. I doubled my work. Because it was like the time is now. We were already there. And we're stronger today than before this started. Everything's, everything's been blowback for the people in power. And you're seeing the, the epitome of it in the Brandon administration right now. Not to make this political, but good God, when you got the, the Democrat candidate for Georgia's governor suggesting that a solution to inflation would be having more abortions. You, you've run out. You've run out of things to say. You're just, you're stuck on stupid in a whole new way. And the army's not even beginning to slow down its march. We are the army. We are the new counterculture. Um, I also said in 2013, the problems of modern society are more evident than ever. Well, how's that looking in 2022? The problems of modern society are more evident than ever. I think it's more true today. I don't even need to say anything about it. But the, the, this is problem, reaction, solution, right? That, that's, that's the way they lead you with finords and try to, like, they still think that they're going to get somebody who's abstained from all their bullshit for three years to participate if Elmo or Big Bird tells them to one more time. 
That's that's the world they live in. That's the world they live in. And we live in a world of like, we know who you are now. How many people you knew it was bad, but you didn't really know what you were dealing with three years ago? And now you're like, I know who you are. I know what you're about. And just to be blunt, I don't think so. I don't think so, Skippy. I don't think you're going to play that here. That's where we are today. They showed you who they were. They showed you what they were about. And if you were already into this, what happened? Did you give up or or did you ramp up? Did you give up or did you ramp up? I ramped up. And I know y'all ramped up. I was kind of hard on you guys in the beginning. Some people left me. Because everybody in the community was panicking. I'm like, quit panicking. Quit crying. You're preppers. You should be ready for this. Let's roll. And some people didn't like that little bit of tough love. But then I watched it change really quick. When the whole thing started, the first thing we did, the first week of all the lockdowns and shit, I brought John on to talk about making more money. I brought Nicole on to talk about starting a business. And I brought other people on to talk about side hustles and growing food. I mean, in the first month, it was all, here's what you do. People are like, where do I get a sack of wheat? You don't need a sack of wheat. You need to get your ass to work. And then they did something that, like, I still think as bad as it all is, as horrible as it all is, in the end, it's been a blessing. Because I spent a big part of of the prior, what was it, 13 years, 12 years at that point, Saying this is who these people are and having people tell me, oh, oh, yeah, they're bad, but they're not that bad. Right. And then basically we got this gift where they all said, no, no, totally. We are that bad, but you should love what we're doing anyway. No, we're done. And then, uh, the freak here says we moved to the country. How many people moved? A lot. All of these. Remember my whole movement that I started years ago called Walking to Freedom? I'm like, I see what, what Free State Project's doing with New Hampshire, but there's also people, they're not going to go to New Hampshire, and there's a lot of places that suck, and one of the few blessings we really, really still have, the vestiges of the old republic in this nation, is the freedom of movement between the states. And I said, get out of these places. And we made a list of places on a forum Because it was a walking to freedom forum, it's gone now. But it was a naughty list. Guess which states were on it? You know the states that were on it? Oregon, Washington, California, Illinois, New York, Connecticut. I don't remember the rest, but I can tell you they were all on New Jersey. New Jersey was on it. I don't really remember the other. There was three more. They're all the states that have had a net outflow since this started. That They did what I as a podcaster and as a community leader and influencer could not. They got more people to move than a whole freaking consorted effort to just alert people to the fact, hey, you don't have to stay there. They did it. They have made our counterculture more powerful. Good. And they're going to keep trying, and that's going to make it even more powerful because people in the end will choose freedom. 
Some of them are really seduced. Some of them are really asleep. But sooner or later, the boot will crush the face enough to realize this is not going to work. I can't vote my way out of tyranny. I got to walk out of it. I got to fight out of it. And this is just one way to fight back. The problems of modern society are more evident than ever. Thank you, oligarchs. Thank you, technocrats. Thank you for doing what we could never do when we were shouting from the rooftops, this is who those people are. Thank you for taking off your mask, coming out and saying, this is who we are. Because, yeah. Because, yeah. You've done what we couldn't do. You've unmasked yourself. The biggest reason is simply because it's becoming accepted by most people. I said that in 2013. I have found that accelerated also with this whole three-year cycle. People that were like, oh, well, you uh, you have a garden? Oh, wow, that's kind of weird. Now it's like, oh, you got a garden. Oh, I see you got a garden. Oh, I have people now that don't, that don't think it's because I'm Jack Spirico's survival podcast. They don't know nothing about it. But you get people that, you know, just in the area or whatever, like, oh, what do you got going on there? Like, they're interested. Like, they want, they want to know how to do these things. And that's way more true than it was nine years ago. And, again, it's because the people behind the curtain came out from behind the curtain, and they showed us who they really are. And once you know what you're dealing with, the beauty of that is that then you know what to do in response to it. When you realize that, You ain't going to fix it by voting once every two years. You start taking actual meaningful actions. Even if you vote, I don't ever put anybody down for it. Even if it does some good, right? Even if it does some good, you still have to do a hell of a lot more. And when they showed us who they are, people started doing it. I believe back then that almost everyone would do at least a little bit in the coming years. I don't know that that happened. But a hell of a lot more people did than I think didn't. And I think that's becoming more true. And what I would modify it to today is I think anybody that's not completely vested in the world of make-believe that they call modern society, and let's be honest, folks, it's what it is. It's a world of make-believe. It's phony politicians. It's phony money. It's phony rules. It's phony control. It's phony media. All of it's phony. Anybody that is not still watching the WWF from 1985, Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Savage shaking hands and going, oh, wow, Randy came over to the good side. Anybody that's not still in that mode in general life is probably already doing some of this or at least trying to figure out how. And I want you – I said this back then, and this is something that I, I think is really important to think about today. What would it mean if we just decentralized 25% of the food system today? Not all of it, 25% of it. I'm not even saying it's all organic or it's all permaculture. Just 25% of the food that people eat is not part of the centralized food distribution system. One in four calories, one in four forkfuls, one in four spoonfuls, one in four bites came from outside the centralized system. And what I mean by that is it didn't go to Kroger or Winn-Dixie or Albertsons or Publix or whatever the hell it is. It didn't get on a truck and get shipped across the country to a warehouse. I don't care if you bought it at the farmer's market, your neighbor gave it to you, you, you forged it out of the woods, you grew it in your backyard, you grew it in your closet. 
I don't care. I don't care if it's a guy down the road raises cattle and he took it to the small little slaughterhouse in the loophole system and you bought a quarter beef you split with three other people. Or you raise your own cow or sheep and you process. I don't care. I don't care if you know a redneck hippie duck farmer like me that every few years does a great big run of broad breast turkeys and you go to his house and you pick it up and take it to get processed or process yourself and you pay him on the pound after the processing on an honor system. I don't care. I don't care if it's because a bunch of people planted apples all the way down the street and then the neighborhood has an apple festival every year every goes out and picks apples. I don't, just anything. What would it mean if we were able to decentralize 25% of our food? And you might think it's a big goal, but that kid I always talk about, young Jack Spearco, they actually called him JJ, by the way, for Jack Jr., J.J. grew up in a time where most people did. It was called the 1980s. They still make TV shows about it. It ain't that long ago. It ain't that long ago. Now, I didn't grow up in a time when most people did. I grew up in a place and time where most people did. I grew up in a place. People think I'm kidding when I say this. I grew up in a place where school was closed on the first day of deer season. Because if you didn't close it, there wouldn't be no kids in the school over 12, because 12 was when you could get a license. And when you were 12, you took your hunter safety course, and you got a license. And if you're like, I don't want to hunt, you know, because sister too, okay? You know, I don't really want to hunt. I'm trying. Okay, honey, put your stuff on. Go in the truck. Here's 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 a, a thermos with some some soup in it. If you wake up and get hungry, you stay in the truck, and daddy or brother shoot a deer. Come on, honey, you got a deer. I did. Yeah, you did. Why? Because that was one more deer for the family for a year. First animal I ever skinned in my life that I ate was a squirrel. I remember the first year that I really got to go out and hunt. I put a lot of squirrel in the freezer. Now, now you're you're seeing your own needs when you're hunting an animal. Like people think hunting squirrels is easy because you see them all apart. The Go up in the mountains and tangle with the mountain bushy tails. They know you are trying to kill them. They don't just come out and let you do it. It takes a few of them to start to add up. But you're hunting an animal that's basically a tree rat. It's almost impossible to overhunt if done with any any modicum of of, of 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 you know not being insane, and it's an incredibly sustainable, nutritious food source. You learn to fish. This isn't hard. This is a problem. We talk about homesteading. Everyone thinks it's a garden and a rabbit hutch, a couple chickens and maybe a cow, or some pigs. It, it needs to be, to be a true insurrectionist, you need to learn to live off the land. That is the land that you control and the land that you have access to both. We need to be experts at foraging, hunting, fishing, and horticulture. Experts. And you know what? The beauty is, it is in your DNA, so unlike a lot of things, becoming an expert at it is not hard. You know what an expert is? We've made all these fancy words, fancy degrees, fancy certifications. An expert is a person that can routinely do a task that an untrained person cannot and do it well enough to do it right all the time and teach other people how to do it. That would be an expert. 
That would be an expert. You are predisposed to be an expert at everything that I just said and be part of the new counterculture. And we are the new counterculture. Because what is the counterculture? What does that literally mean? What is the what does it mean? It's not complicated, is it? You are counter to the predominant culture. What's the predominant culture? Go to the store, eat the stuff off the shelves, listen to what everybody on the TV says you're supposed to do, dutifully obey it, participate in the system the way you are told, and above all, you are to be socialized. Have you ever thought about what that word means, what socialized means? Right now, we're socializing our dog, our pup, Bell. She's still like, she sees strangers, she's like... Why? Because she's innately a canine and she's like, these are my people and I don't know you. And, you know, like, till I know you, I don't want you over here. and I don't want you in my face and I'll bite you. Little pup, but she's still, she's already there. Like, uh. we had a family member come to the house yesterday. She ended up getting along with her, sitting on her lap, petting her all. But the first time she took a look at her, I don't know, you growl. Socialization is where you make something behave properly for the situation. So they want you socialized to their system, not a natural one. There's another word for that. Domestication. Domestication. They want you domesticated like a cow. You are to be domesticated so that you are properly socialized for their system of control. They can take that and they can shove it right up their ass. Sideways. Twice. Because we live counter to their culture. There could, there's nothing that is more of a counterculture today than we're going to raise our children with traditional values. There's nothing more counterculture today than we're going to eat the food that comes out of our backyard. There's nothing more counterculture than my kids will know where their food comes from. There's nothing more counterculture to, hey, I'm a dude, and I'm going to live as a dude, and you can call me he or him or whatever you want to, but I'm not going to tell you what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to know that on your own. You can figure that out for yourself. If I have to tell you there's something wrong, right, I have an unreasonable expectation. There's nothing more counterculture today than I'm going to get married in my 20s and raise children into my 40s. That's Today, that's counterculture. There's nothing more counterculture than I'm going to build traditional wealth in my life and think about the fact that one day it should be passed on to my great-grandkids in some form. There's nothing more counterculture than I'm going to plant a tree whose shade I will never sit in because it's the right thing to do, even though I'm an old man now. There's nothing more counterculture than I'm going to own a dog that protects my homestead instead of a mop dog that lives in a purse. Everything we do is counter to everything that they tell us we're supposed to be doing. Can you tell me something that is more counterculture today than homesteading, permaculture, self-directed entrepreneurship, leadership, self-directed education, taking responsibility for your own education, doing your own research. You can't do homesteading 
without doing your own research. You don't know how to do everything. So you have to go out and you have to look at all the things being done and say, I can do that. That'll work for me. Jack lives in Texas. Screw him. He doesn't know about my winners. This guy over here does. I'm going to emulate that. That, that is counterculture because the minute you do it and it works, when they tell you about some other shit, well, don't do your own research. Listen to the, listen to the, to the experts. They come out like that one, Jim Bear, the comedian, the news cockatoos. Facts and figures, facts and figures, cases are up. Listen to Fauci, right? Like, like birds. You're like, wait, no, 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 no. I'm not doing this. I'm going to go find out from, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong, but I'm going to go find, I'm not going to just trust you anymore. Nothing's more counterculture than this movement. What's more counterculture than, no, I'm not going to live on bread. No, I'm not going to live on freaking Cheetos. No, I'm not going to base my my food pyramid, my personal food pyramid, on an exact match of a bag of cattle feed. I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to live on drugs my entire life. No, every time I'm sad doesn't mean I'm depressed. I'm not going to take your drug. No, I'm not going to be seduced by a freaking song on television, a repackaged 80s jingle telling me to go get a pill because I had a problem. No, go screw. I'll figure it out for myself. This lifestyle leads to that. It might be the biggest counterculture movement of all time. It is certainly the biggest counterculture movement of our lifetimes. It is an insurrection. And it's been long since time to have an insurrection like this. But we've actively been doing it. The Army's been marching. It's been decentralizing and networking for, for decades now. And stronger than ever. Aaron Sweet says, I'm a stay-at-home mom for 10 years. I didn't go on all those Hawaiian vacations that two-income earner families went on, but I wouldn't change a thing. You are a you are an insurrectionist, Aaron. You are a dangerous insurrectionist. You are a dangerous, seditionist, revolutionary. You are a member of the counterculture, and I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you. Raising your children is an act of insurrection in a world where the state is supposed to raise your children and own your children and tell you when you can see them and how. Go screw. We are the insurrection. We're not going away. It's our time. Thank you for showing us who you are. Because now we don't have to tell people anymore. They can see it for themselves. Guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Usually I take some questions and stuff. Um, I've got a lot I got to get done today. Uh, we do have family in town. Uh, I got to get tomorrow's show done today as well so I can spend time with that family. Uh, I appreciate you being with me today. I am going to wrap up. I do want to remind you guys that you can help support this show and the work that we do. We've been talking about not doing what they say today. So let's talk about doing that some more with our diet. Now, not everything is going to be grown on your own property And I do recommend that if you want to support my show, you can do your online shopping at tspaz.com. So let me show you my item of the day. It's a new one for you. This is, uh, it's made by a company called Pork King Good. Pork King Good pork rind breadcrumbs. I freaking love these things. You just substitute them for, for breadcrumbs. You can use them to make anything. I give a recipe here for some blue cheese bacon bison sliders, and you can adapt that and use pork and beef mixed or just beef or lamb or anything you want. You can change things out and swap things out. 
but they act as that binder the way that breadcrumbs would when you start getting a little bit creative with what goes into something. So sliders, meatloaves, uh, meatballs, stuff like that. But anything that you would fry in bread. Last night I made some chicken wings that came from Butcher Box for my wife, and I did some other stuff, paprika and garlic and stuff like that, a little bit of chili powder. But I coated the wings with these breadcrumbs. And I threw them in our oven, and our oven has an air fryer. We don't have an air fryer. We have an oven with an air fryer setting. And one of the things about air fryers, when you go really high temperature, you'll get two done on the outside before the inside's done. So I ran them for 30 minutes at 375, and then I ran them for like 10, 15 more, whenever they look done, at 425. And so Dorothy said, and I quote, just make them like this every time forever now. Like that was like, don't do anything else. Don't do anything else. Just do this. Um, I'm going to play with some other stuff with them. But if you are keto and you've been mentioned crunch in your life, these will bring them back. You can find them at T-Spaz or the Survival Podcast or the episode notes for today's show. With that, I'm going to wrap up. I want to say real quick, K-Bonk just threw me a $50 super chat. Thank you so much, K-Bont, for that. I appreciate it. Remember, another way you can support the show, become a member of the MSB. Go to survivalpodcast.com and click on members. Or listen to this show on a podcasting 2.0 app. I did sell one membership across the podcasting app instead of it just being a regular boost. Uh, uh, we'll talk about that more next week, and I'll, I'll tell you the boost that came with it. Uh, but it did, it did just, I've been in the top five mostly since the whole thing started, uh, with most supported shows. Sometimes I'll, I fell out when I went on the road for a week, but usually I'm in that top five. But Adam Curry, I'd be four or five. Adam Curry would have like the top three spots. That pushed me over. I'm number one on the fountain charts. Thanks to you guys right now. Adam Curry's in second place. It feels good to be in front of the podfather on something like that. But if you want to help support the show and help keep us there, any podcasting 2.0 app, you can support this. You can send boostergrams along with it. I don't read them all on the air. The whole show would be boostergrams, but I do read them all. I do see what you guys have to say, and I appreciate you. You can stream sats. That's a great way to do things, and uh, uh, thanks for all of that. So thank you to all of you who have supported the show, uh, my work, and my family's work over the years. I really appreciate it. I couldn't be doing this without folks like y'all. Um, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed looking back nine years ago using the same show notes. And I didn't listen to the old one, but I think this is the same material, but a completely different show because we live in a completely different time. And I mean it. Y'all are the counterculture. Homesteading is the new counterculture. We're not done with this topic yet. I think Nick was here from the swag shop. A homesteading is the new counterculture shirt. We'll be coming to the swag shop. You can check that out at TSP swag. Well, feel good about yourself if you're part of this movement. And if you're just getting into it, let me tell you something. Stick your hand out. Say you need help. It will never be far away. You're not alone. You're not alone. One of the reasons I think our events are so successful is because when people get together at our events, they realize how, how much they are normal when they get around other people. You can't get to every event or anything like that. There's... Time limits, cost limits, seat limits, etc. But the de decentralized, interconnected network that we're forming through all these communication channels 
like the TSP Discord or the TSP Telegram channel or the, our group on MeWe and connection with each other on Twitter and, and, and here on YouTube. It's unlimited. Every time you add a person to a network, you add a, however many people are in there, you add that many connections. So if you have a hundred thousand people in a network, you think if you had one more hundred thousand and one, you get one more connection. No, you get a hundred thousand more connections because every one of those hundred thousand can connect with that new one. It's a hundred, hundred thousand new possibilities. And then start branching it out to, but what if these two people work with these two people and that one new person's added? How many new options are there? They'll never win. They'll never win because they don't even understand what they're fighting. A permaculture, homesteading, all of it, keto eating, homeschooling, it's all collectively the new counterculture. I'll catch you guys tomorrow with an expert council Q&A show. You pull yourself up, they keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? You should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.